Section 16 of The Adventures of Gerard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How the Brigadier Rode to Minsk. Continued. The Russian horsemen dismounted, and my poor fellows were ordered to do the same. It was already late, and it was clearly their intention to spend the night in this village. There were great cheering and joy amongst the peasants when they understood that we had all been taken, and they flocked out of their houses with flaming torches, the women carrying out tea and brandy for the Cossacks. Amongst others the old priest came forth, the same whom we had seen in the morning. He was all smiles now, and he bore with him some hot punch on a salver, the reek of which I can remember still. Behind her father was Sophie. With horror I saw her clasp Major Sergene's hand as she congratulated him upon the victory he had won and the prisoners he had made. The old priest, her father, looked at me with an insolent face and made insulting remarks at my expense, pointing at me with his lean and grimy hand. His fair daughter Sophie looked at me also, but she said nothing, and I could read her tender pity in her dark eyes. At last she turned to Major Sergene and said something to him in Russian, on which he frowned and shook his head impatiently. She appeared to plead with him, standing there in the flood of light which shone from the open door of her father's house. My eyes were fixed upon the two faces, that of the beautiful girl and of the dark, fierce man, for my instinct told me that it was my own fate which was under debate. For a long time the soldier shook his head, and then, at last softening before her pleadings, he appeared to give way. He turned to where I stood with my guardian sergeant beside me. "'These good people offer you the shelter of their roof for the night,' said he to me, looking me up and down with vindictive eyes. "'I find it hard to refuse them, but I tell you straight that for my part I had rather see you on the snow. It would cool your hot blood, you rascal of a Frenchman.' I looked at him with a contempt that I felt. "'You were born a savage, and you will die one,' said I. My words stung him, for he broke into an oath, raising his whip as if he would strike me. "'Silence, you crop-eared dog!' he cried. "'Had I my way, some of the insolence would be frozen out of you before morning.' Mastering his passion, he turned upon Sophie, with what he meant to be a gallant manner. "'If you have a cellar with a good lock,' said he, "'the fellow may lie in it for the night. "'Since you have done him the honour to take an interest in his comfort, "'I must have his parole that he will not attempt to play us any tricks, "'as I am answerable for him until I hand him over to the Hetman Platoff to-morrow.' "'His supercilious manner was more than I could endure. "'He had evidently spoken French to the lady,' in order that I might understand the humiliating way in which he referred to me. "'I will take no favour from you,' said I. "'You may do what you like, but I will never give you my parole.' The Russian shrugged his great shoulders, and turned away, as if the matter were ended. "'Very well, my fine fellow. So much the worse for your fingers and toes. We shall see how you are in the morning, after a night in the snow.' "'One moment, Major Sergenet,' cried Sophie. "'You must not be so hard upon this prisoner. "'There are some special reasons why he has a claim upon our kindness and mercy.' "'The Russian looked with suspicion upon his face from her to me. 
what are the special reasons you certainly seem to take a remarkable interest in this frenchman said he the chief reason is that he has this very morning of his own accord released captain alexis barakoff of the dragoons of grodno it is true said barakoff who had come out of the house he captured me this morning and he released me upon parole rather than take me back to the french army where i should have been starved since colonel gerard has acted so generously you will surely now that fortune has changed allow us to offer him the poor shelter of our cellar upon this bitter night said sophie it is a small return for his generosity but the dragoon was still in the sulks let him give me his parole first that he will not attempt to escape said he do you hear sir do you give me your parole i give you nothing said i colonel gerard cried sophie turning to me with a coaxing smile you will give me your parole will you not to you mademoiselle i can refuse nothing i will give you my parole with pleasure there major sergine cried sophie in triumph that is surely sufficient you have heard him say that he gives me his parole i will be answerable for his safety in an ungracious fashion my Russian bear grunted his consent, and so I was led into the house, followed by the scowling father, and by the big black-bearded dragoon. In the basement there was a large and roomy chamber, where the winter logs were stored. Thither it was that I was led, and I was given to understand that this was to be my lodging for the night. One side of this bleak apartment was heaped up to the ceiling with faggots of firewood. The rest of the room was stone-flagged and bare-walled, with a single deep-set window upon one side, which was safely guarded with iron bars. For light I had a large stable lantern, which swung from a beam of the low ceiling. Major Sergenet smiled as he took this down, and swung it round so as to throw its light into every corner of that dreary chamber. "'How do you like our Russian hotels, monsieur?' he asked with his hateful sneer. "'They are not very grand, but they are the best that we can give you.' Perhaps the next time that you Frenchmen take a fancy to travel, you will choose some other country where they will make you more comfortable. He stood laughing at me, his white teeth gleaming through his beard. Then he left me, and I heard the great key creak in the lock. For an hour of utter misery, chilled in body and soul, I sat upon a pile of faggots, my face sunk upon my hands, and my mind full of the saddest thoughts. It was cold enough within those four walls, but I thought of the sufferings of my poor troopers outside, and I sorrowed with their sorrow. Then I paced up and down, and I clapped my hands together and kicked my feet against the walls to keep them from being frozen. The lamp gave out some warmth, but still it was bitterly cold, and I had had no food since morning. It seemed to me that everyone had forgotten me, but at last I heard the key turn in the lock, and who should enter but my prisoner of the morning, Captain Alexis Barakoff, a bottle of wine projected from under his arm, and he carried a great plate of hot stew in front of him. Hush, said he, not a word. Keep up your heart. I cannot stop to explain, for Sergene is still with us. Keep awake and ready. With these hurried words he laid down the welcome food and ran out of the room. Keep awake and ready. The words rang in my ears. 
I ate my food and I drank my wine, but it was neither food nor wine which had warmed the heart within me. What could those words of Barakoff mean? Why was I to remain awake? For what was I to be ready? Was it possible that there was a chance yet of escape? I have never respected the man who neglects his prayers at all other times, and yet prays when he is in peril. It is like a bad soldier, who pays no respect to the colonel, save when he would demand a favour of him. And yet, when I thought of the salt mines of Siberia on the one side, and of my mother in France upon the other, I could not help a prayer rising, not from my lips, but from my heart, that the words of Barakov might mean all that I hoped. But hour after hour struck upon the village clock, and still I heard nothing save the call of the Russian sentries in the street outside. Then at last my heart leaped within me, for I heard a light step in the passage. An instant later the key turned, the door opened, and Sophie was in the room. "'Monsieur!' she cried. "'Etienne!' said I. "'Nothing will change you,' said she. "'But is it possible that you do not hate me? Have you forgiven me the trick which I played you?' "'What trick?' I asked. "'Good heavens! Is it possible that even now you have not understood it?' You have asked me to translate the dispatch. I have told you that it meant, if the French come to Minsk, all is lost. What did it mean, then? It means, let the French come to Minsk, we are awaiting them. I sprang back from her. You betrayed me, I cried. You lured me into this trap. It is to you that I owe the death and capture of my men. Fool that I was to trust a woman! Do not be unjust, Colonel Gerard. I am a Russian woman, and my first duty is to my country. Would you not wish a French girl to have acted as I have done? Had I translated the message correctly, you would not have gone to Minsk, and your squadron would have escaped. Tell me that you forgive me. She looked bewitching as she stood, pleading her cause in front of me, and yet as I thought of my dead men, I could not take the hand which she held out to me. "'Very good,' said she, as she dropped it by her side. "'You feel for your own people, and I feel for mine, and so we are equal. "'But you have said one wise and kindly thing within these walls, Colonel Sherard. "'You have said one man more or less can make no difference in a struggle between two great armies. "'Your lesson of nobility is not wasted. "'Behind those fagots is an unguarded door.' Here is the key to it. Go forth, Colonel Gerard, and I trust that we may never look upon each other's faces again. I stood for an instant with the key in my hand and my head in a whirl. Then I handed it back to her. I cannot do it, I said. Why not? I have given my parole. To whom? she asked. Why, to you. And I release you from it. My heart bounded with joy. Of course, it was true what she said. I had refused to give my parole to Sergenay. I owed him no duty. If she relieved me from my promise, my honour was clear. I took the key from her hand. You will find Captain Barakoff at the end of the village street, said she. We of the North never forget either an injury or a kindness. He has your mare and your sword waiting for you. Do not delay an instant, for in two hours it will be dawn. So I passed out into the starlit Russian night, and had that last glimpse of Sophie as she peered after me through the open door.
she looked wistfully at me as if she expected something more than the cold thanks which i gave her but even the humblest man has his pride and i will not deny that mine was hurt by the deception which she had played upon me i could not have brought myself to kiss her hand far less her lips the door led into a narrow alley and at the end of it stood a muffled figure who held violette by the bridle you told me to be kind to the next french officer whom i found in distress said he good luck bon voyage he whispered as i bounded into the saddle remember poltava is the watchword it was well that he had given it to me for twice i had to pass cossack pickets before i was clear of the lines i had just ridden past the last vedettes and hoped that i was a free man again when there was a soft thudding in the snow behind me and a heavy man upon a great black horse came swiftly after me my first impulse was to put spurs to violette my second as i saw a long black beard against a steel cuirass was to halt and await him i thought it was you you dog of a frenchman he cried shaking his drawn sword at me so you have broken your parole you rascal i gave no parole you lie you hound i looked around and no one was coming the vedettes were motionless and distant we were all alone with the moon above and the snow beneath fortune has ever been my friend i gave you no parole you gave it to the lady then i will answer for it to the lady that would suit you better no doubt but unfortunately you will have to answer for it to me i am ready your sword too there is treason in this i see it all the woman has helped you she shall see siberia for this night's work the words were his death warrant for sophie's sake i could not let him go back alive our blades crossed and an instant later mine was through his black beard and deep in his throat i was on the ground almost as soon as he but the one thrust was enough he died snapping his teeth at my ankles like a savage wolf Two days later I had rejoined the army at Smolensk, and was a part once more of that dreary procession which tramped onward through the snow, leaving a long wheel of blood to show the path which it had taken. Enough, my friends, I would not reawaken the memory of those days of misery and death. They still come to haunt me in my dreams. When we haunted at last in Warsaw, we had left behind us our guns, our transport, and three-fourths of our comrades— but we did not leave behind us the honour of Etienne Gerard. They have said that I broke my parole. Let them beware how they say it to my face, for the story is as I tell it, and old as I am, my forefinger is not too weak to press a trigger when my honour is in question. End of section 16 and end of How the Brigadier Rode to Minsk